Welcome to UO Today. I'm Paul Pepis, Director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Ari Ernesto Pernama, Assistant Professor of Cinema Studies at the University of Oregon. Pernama's research and teaching interests include the aesthetics of cinema, Southeast Asian film, and film cultures in the global South. He focuses on the interaction between film style, the handling of cinema, cinematic techniques, and culturally specific patterns of communication and psychosocial behavior. Pranama is currently working on a monograph entitled Film Style in Indonesian Cinema, 1939 to 2017. Pranama joined the University of Oregon in fall 2020. Thanks, Ari, for coming on the show. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Paul. It's a privilege to be here, and I've been very looking forward to be speaking with you. Great. So let's um, let's start with some background. Tell us a little bit about your background. It's it's a it's an interesting story, and I'm sure our uh, viewers would be interested to hear about it. Yes. So um, I was born and raised in Bandung, which is the capital city of the West Java province on the island of Java in Indonesia, just a city of three million people, um, and I grew up in the southern parts of Bandung, which is, you know, the suburbs. Now, when you think about the, the word suburbs and the, the American context, you think about, you know, a safe and clean and affluent environment uh, in, in Indonesia. And I suppose in many of the global south uh, localities, the suburbs is really where, you know, things are rough and tumble it's economically underdeveloped. And uh, the area where I was uh, living in was actually an industrial zone. So, you, you know, instead of luxurious standalone houses, you see rows of uh, factories manufacturing products for local brands. And, you know, I had always thought that I would spend the rest of my life working in these factories. <laughs> Um, but I, I now I always tell people that there are two things that really saved my life. And, and this were on the one hand, underground music. And on the other hand was a science, you know, not with a capital S with the lowercase science or scholarly pursuit that really enabled me to go to college and pursue a communication studies degree, thanks to a scholarship. And uh, in my mid-twenties, I was, again, fortunate to uh, get a scholarship from the Dutch government to go to the Netherlands and pursue a master's degree in, in, in film studies, and then uh, subsu subsequently to pursue a PhD degree in the Netherlands at the University of Groningen, as, as we pronounce it. And so I wrapped that up in 2019, and by 2020, then I've uh, received this uh, position at the University of Oregon, and I'm excited to be here despite you know the challenging <laughs> times we've been having uh, since the pandemic. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about what led to your interest in film and filmmaking? How you how that became your area of focus? Yes. Uh, so film and television, in particular, uh, were always been part of. Uh, my life, you know, I come from underprivileged background, so education was really out of reach, but television was always in our household, 
and 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 film was always shown so uh, this medium became really the portal to the outside world to me but i had never thought that you know someday i would uh, pursue filmmaking and uh, went on to study film as an academic uh, enterprise i thought again this was very out of reach uh, music was actually my main interest and i was in a couple of punk bands you know and i produced uh, my own records and I actually wanted to become a recording engineer uh, but somehow that uh, didn't pan out and uh, during the first and second years of college I was exposed to many documentary films that were very fascinating and one of them was this BBC documentary style uh, uh, film by an Australian journalist by the name of John Pilger, and he made a documentary on, you know, sweatshops in Indonesia called the new ruler, ruler the new ruler, rulers of the world. Sorry, and this documentary really exposes, you know, the the ways in which these industrial zones are, were organized by global corporations in the global south, including Indonesia, and that really struck a chord with me because it really showed you know how powerful the medium of film um physically and philosophically to really to show what goes on behind the scenes of of this people's lives and the way that uh you know an industrial zone was organized so having watched that and thankfully also because you know the punk scenes are filled with people who have really good taste <laughs> in film. So I was exposed to, you know, Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey to uh, the Monty fight, <laughs> for instance. And that kind of got me, uh, became more and more interested in, in pursuing film. You know, so uh, hence this interest that came later, yeah. So unusually in comparison to many of your colleagues in the cinema studies program at the University of Oregon, you are a scholar practitioner. You study filmmaking, but you also make films. Tell us a little bit about how you understand the relationship between these two aspects of your professional identity. How do they benefit each other? Uh, how does it make you a better scholar to be a filmmaker? How does it make you a better filmmaker to be a scholar? Yes, this is really an interesting question. And I, I always love answering this kinds of question because uh, you're right, it's very unusual. And as you know, the you know the enterprise of, of film studies and the domain of filmmaking for a long time, and I would say to this day uh, are still pretty much separated, uh, divorced from each other. I got interested in studying film from an academic standpoint, mainly because when I started making films, I felt that I, lacked knowledge in how film works as an art form, uh, you know, how the film language works, especially visually. And I always joke that, you know, the first few times I made films, uh, I was always quote unquote bullied by my cinematographer because I did not know, you know, whenever we, we set up a shot and my cinematographer would say, no, we place the camera here. No way, you know, we're gonna put a lighting fixture here. And I never understood why. And whenever I questioned, because, you know, I was still a junior filmmaker, I always gave in, I always caved in easily. 
So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to study film academically to, to, to learn more about it. And uh, it benefited me later on as I make films uh, uh, subsequently. And, and now I guess I'm becoming more conceptually strong and I always have a good rationale for, you know, choosing a shot this way or a camera movement this way. So instead of choosing, let's say, an aesthetic techniques uh, gratuitously, uh, I'm more cognizant of uh, what sort of effects that it can do to tell the story or to engage audience uh, emotions, so to speak. And conversely, I think by engaging in filmmaking practice, uh, my scholarship has benefited a lot uh, from really on the set, in the field, just testing the theories that we've accumulated in, this, in, the, in film scholarship. And also enables me to recalibrate my uh, ideas about film and also my uh, film teaching also, because a lot of times, you know, we encounter for instance, uh, textbooks on film. And I find that there are some concepts or terminologies that are pretty archaic that even filmmakers, you know, do not recognize anymore. Uh, so we talk about film lighting and we teach students, you know, three-point lighting system. Now, cinematographers don't use that terminology anymore. You know, they use things like uh, bounce lighting, so it, it really kind of uh, updates, you know, what we know about film through film practice. Yeah, That's fascinating. So let's start with your scholar side. So how would you characterize your approach to studying films as a scholar? Uh, if I use, let's say, the, the target model uh, of my approach to film studies at, uh, at bullseyes, this would be the attention to film aesthetics or what some people call poetics, I guess. We, I just wanna know how really filmmakers use the techniques to tell story, to engage audience emotion and the sort of the enabling circumstances that lead filmmakers to choose their, their you know, techniques. And this could be from technology to uh, artistic traditions, both within cinema and the adjacent arts from, from literature to theater and to uh, social and political circumstances such as censorship, you know. So that would be at the center of my inquiry uh, to film. The outer layer of this uh, concentric model would be my attention to what some call production studies or production culture, especially in the domains of, uh, I guess, in the production terms, you would call this below the line positions. So, you know, cinematographers, production designers, art directors, sound designers. So really folks who, I guess you would call craftspeople that usually don't get the spotlight, you know, in, in film studies, because obviously there's some historical institutional reason for this. Number one being that 
the legacy of the auteur theory places so much attention to the film director and then forgetting, I mean, it's changing now, but a lot of times people attribute it to uh, film directors as, as truly just the, the creative geniuses and forgetting that there's an arsenal, a team of people, creative folks that help uh, film directors to achieve what they want to achieve. So the creative collaboration in this uh, production circumstances that really interests me to study that. And at the outer most layer would be kind of the disciplinary awareness that uh, I'm interested in, in studying. And that means I'm interested in looking at cinema studies as a discipline, how is how it has developed over time and how it engages with uh, you know, social, social challenges of societal demands that we have in, society, in our contemporary culture and, and climate. So I guess all of those combined, I'm looking at film not simply uh, as an artistic object to study, but this whole ecosystem, you would say, of cinema culture or film culture. Uh, and that I think kind of describes my approach to the film. That's, that's really helpful. So let's talk about your monograph in progress, film style and Indonesian cinema, 1939 to 2017. Can you give us a, like an overview of the project of that, of that, of that book? Yes. So this uh, book, uh, the basis of the book is actually my dissertation on uh, stylistic innovations in Indonesian cinema over the past 20 years. And the, the title 1939 to 2017 is actually an editorial decision uh, that the publisher and I discussed. But uh, the bulk of the work really focuses on the films made between uh, 1998 to 2017. And the reason why this period is so interesting because Indonesian cinema history is a history of uh, boom and bust cycle. So film production began officially in 1926 during the colonial era because Indonesia which was known then as the, the Dutch East Indies was colonized by the, the Netherlands. So the cinema industry went through cycles of you know, ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And it reached its golden age in the 1970s and 80s. But by 1990s, it, uh, the popularity of local films waned and production plummeted. Uh, for a number of reasons, because television was becoming more popular and there's a lot of uh, regulations that really didn't make sense to filmmakers. And also because the ways in which the film industry was organized was so uh, heavily politicized in a way that, you know, the, the organization of the cinema labor was governed by uh, a government institution that attempted to ferret out communist sympathizers, for instance. So it was very stifling. But the 90s, after the Asian financial crisis and beginning in the 2000s, 
And thanks to the development of digital filmmaking technology, the industry underwent a significant revitalization thanks to the works of the new generation of filmmakers. So I'm interested in really knowing what happened there, you know, what, what made Indonesian films became popular again among the local audiences. Now, I'm not saying that Indonesian films become, uh, have now become, you know, what we call in Indonesian, uh, the, the host in their own home, because Hollywood still eclipses, you know, the number of box offices. But I would say that the interest among the local audiences to go and watch Indonesian films again is unprecedented. So I want to know why. And I argue that it is through stylistic innovation, uh, the visual revamping that made Indonesian films, you know, uh, uh, interesting to watch again. Some, some scholars have argued, well, this is because Indonesian films have entangled themselves to the modes of popular culture, which to a certain degree, maybe it's true the ways in which these films are marketed. Yes, they're hanging on to popular cultural sensibility, but I would say that filmmakers actually in the, in the contemporary time explored more and more the, you know, the cinematic, artistic um, affordances that were not explored in the previous eras of Indonesian cinemas and in, in Indonesian cinema history. So in a few words, I think it's the stylistic innovation that becomes sort of like the pole and the magnet. So let's talk a little bit about the other side of your professional identity, your identity as a filmmaker. Tell us, can you, about how you approach filmmaking? What's distinctive about the way you make films? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I have a distinctive style, maybe not yet. <laughs> I'm still learning, but I would say uh, the process itself, if there's anything that is distinctive about it, I. I think the word organic here is very appropriate because usually I don't have a fully developed script. So I would work with, sometimes I work with a title and a line and I would work with uh, a, my creative collaborator who's a screenwriter. And then we already uh, cast people. And during the, the casting, we developed the story together collaboratively. And so this organic approach, the filmmaking rather than rather than having a, a you know a predefined set of storylines that we wanted to uh, shoot, I tend to let things flow organically. And the second thing I guess that distinguishes my filmmaking is that as you know in film production the norm would be that to shoot things out of order, obviously because you know um, there's some logistical exigencies that force film producers to shoot it that way to be more you know efficient. But I love to shoot things chronologically, uh, according to the order of the story that is presented on screen, because 
by doing so, I think the emotional arc or, or the, uh, the story arc or the character arc flows more to me more naturalistically. And I know it makes it more expensive, but I mean, I don't spend, I mean, the, the most expensive film I spent, I think the budget was like 300 euros or 500 euros. <laughs> so uh, there's not a lot at stake uh, to do it that way. But uh, yeah, I think those two traits really distinguishes my filmmaking. So why don't you tell us about one of the films that you've made? Yes, so the short, so far I've only made shorts as far as narrative fiction film is concerned. And the first uh, short film, which the film that I'm still to this day I'm most proud of is, it's about an intergenerational conflict between the first generation Dutch Indonesian uh, diasporas because in the Netherlands, because of the historical connection, you have many first-generation Indonesians who moved to the Netherlands. Uh, the story is about a grandmother and a mother who's in her 70s or early 80s, who's about to get sent to a nursing home by her children. And that's where the conflict comes in because she expects that her children and her grandchildren would take care of her in their own home because, you know, in Indonesian culture, that's just the, the common way to, to have multi-generations of people living in the same household. And, you know, parents uh, are not sent to the nursing home. In fact, the concept of nursing home is, is alien and, and doesn't exist. So the film is called Our Attachment to Rice because rice symbolizes that you know, the collective familial setting of uh, Indonesian household. And uh, this film was actually shown and premiered at the Cinema Asia Film Festival in Amsterdam. And it really resonated with a lot of folks, uh, especially from, not only from the Indonesian diaspora communities uh, in the Netherlands, but also uh, among the Asian diasporas communities because they're facing the same problems. In fact, when people still uh, sent me messages to this day after watching this film on Vimeo, someone would text me or uh, you know, send me a Facebook message saying, oh, I watch your films. And you know, this is actually happening in our <laughs> family right now. And so the film deals with the issues that are rarely presented in, you know, in, in the Dutch television or film representations. So if our viewers wanted to watch the film, they would put your name into Google and go to your Vimeo site. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Not on so, YouTube. <laughs> Vimeo. I, so I would recommend that people do it. It's a great film. And your other films are also very interesting and fascinating to look at. So my next question, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. So in addition to being a film scholar and a filmmaker, you are also a teacher of film and filmmaking. Tell us about a class that you've taught or one that you're about to teach. Yes. Uh, I have to clarify first that I'm not teaching filmmaking courses here, film production course. So most of my courses are, uh, let's say, scholarship oriented or academic oriented. So the first course is media aesthetics. This is the fundamental course in film studies. And I always love teaching introductory courses to film studies because 
I remember when I took this as an undergrad, it really opened my eyes to, you know, again, how film works as an art form and how filmmakers have developed these conventions and innovate the conventions. Uh, the courses that I developed myself include, the first is Introduction to Southeast Asian Cinema. So in this course, we survey the cinematic developments in countries like Thailand, uh, Singapore, Indonesia, and the Philippines in the period between 97 up until now, again, after the Asian financial crisis, because uh, these are very fascinating uh, times, so to say, for cinemas of these countries. So this is, again, another introduction, of course, to the cinema of the region. And the other course that I'm also teaching, and I'm going to uh, teach in the winter term is transnational cinematography. And this is a course that introduces and exposes students to the various traditions of you know, cinematography, which includes camera movement, lighting, and uh, framing, and color in several cinematic traditions that are known for their stylistic characteristics, such as the German Expressionist cinema, or Hong Kong action cinema, or the Japanese classical cinema, or, you know, the Polish New Wave, for instance. So I'm really excited to teach this course again, because, and the feedback from the students have been very, uh, you know, have been very supportive, because, again, this is something that is hardly uh, talked about much, because Cinematography, even though cinematography is like the fundamental building blocks of cinematic storytelling, is still taken for granted in so many ways. So students really get their what I call, you know, the the, the sense of shot consciousness or design consciousness through this course. So tell us what attracted you to the University of Oregon. Why did you want to take this job? Why did you want to come here? Of course, it's the Pacific Northwest. But, uh, but more seriously, I think when I read the, the job announcements and I done my research and I went to the website of the department and the, the first thing that really stood out to me is the department's slogan, which is where, where critical thinking meets creative practice. And that really embodies the type of higher education institution and film and media studies that I gravitate toward. Because going back to your question about why this hybridity is important, right? Being a scholar and a filmmaker, I do think that um, the critical aspect of, of film studies should not be completely divorced from the creative practice because they both uh, mutually inform each other. And, you know, coming from Europe, I think this type of study is definitely sectioned off where you see if you want to teach or if you want to go to a proper filmmaking um, education, you go to film academy, right? Or film conservatory. If you want to study film, then you go to, you know, the proper university. So having these two domains housed within one department really, really uh, interests me a lot. And secondly, really the department's attention to non-Western cinemas. You know, we have, you know, my colleagues working on 
Indian cinema, like, uh, South Korean cinema, you know, Hong Kong action cinema. So again, that's, that's the type of institution that I want to be, uh, want to be at because I, I, my scholarship fits definitely with this attention to geopolitically and culturally diverse cinemas. So I think those two things. So Ari, we're coming to the end of our time. This will be my last question. Uh, is there a recent film that you would recommend for our viewers? Yes. So a recent film, I guess it depends on how you define recent, but this was a film uh, from 2010, but I would recommend people to watch it because it's very fascinating. It's called Who Killed Captain Alex? And this is a low budget action film that's promoted uh, as the Uganda's first action film. And you can actually watch this on YouTube. I think the, it has garnered about 6.5 million views on YouTube since they <laughs> put this on this platform. But what's so special about it is, I mean, you look at the special effects in this film, you, you would think, wow, it, it's so crude. But I would argue it is really the sincerity of the intention of the film because the filmmaker, his name is Isaac Godfrey Jeffrey Nabwana. His truly a, a filmmaker who exemplifies, you know, what a lot of social psychologists call a creative creativity under constraints because he worked with 85 dollar budget to work on this film and used his off the shelf, you know, desktop PC to work on his films. And you, he used many actors from his local community, including his family to really start a film industry in, in Kampala in Uganda. And so I would recommend this film not only because it's an action film, which one of the genres I really love, but it's also because, you know, how filmmaking can just really so empowering to the communities. Well, thanks so much for that recommendation, Ari, and thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today about your work and your approach to film scholarship and filmmaking and film teaching. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Paul. Again, thank you. It's a privilege to be speaking with you. I've been speaking with Ari Ernesto Pernama, Assistant Professor of Cinema Studies at the University of Oregon. Thanks so much for watching.